0: Well, how's it going, church? I'm so glad you are joining us today. We start a new series today in the book of Colossians. Called Hold On. And here's a key thought to start off uh, our time together. You cannot hold it all together. Uh, I don't know if you're trying to right now. I've been trying to hold it all together, Uh, but it's very difficult. And uh, I think quarantine is uh, exposing the difficulty of holding it all together. And I've written down some lessons from quarantine in my own life. And here's one of the lessons from quarantine I have written down for my own life. The distance between my computer and the pantry is far too short. I'm thinking about Uh, taking laps around the house prior to snacking as a strategy for uh, life in quarantine. Now now I know some of you uh, when you got worried and stressed out about uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, virus, the pandemic. I, I know that you bought toilet paper and while you were busy buying toilet paper, I'm not judging you, I was buying snacks. And so, um, by the way, we kind of need some toilet paper now at the house. And so uh, distance between my computer and the pantry is far too short. Another lesson from quarantine is I don't trust anyone in my family enough to cut my hair. I've realized that there is a, a boundary to my trust of my family. And so I'm seriously right now entertaining dreadlocks. And so you'll see, uh, depending on how long this goes, I might get dreadlocks, or just might throw it out, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I might get a perm, throw that beast out. We'll see how the hairstyle goes in the future. Another lesson from quarantine is: I love my children, but I'm a real fan of them being away at school. Uh, a real fan. In fact, I I can't say that I love them more when they go to school. Uh, I think I love them the same. I might like them more <laughs> when they're when they're at school. Here's here's my if you're a teacher. Uh, here's my suggestion for you. Uh, immediately, as soon as this thing is over and school goes back into session again, I would ask for a raise. I would start at a million dollars and just work your way from there because uh, you're valuable. All right. Here's a here's, here's, big time lesson here. You cannot hold it all together. I'm learning that. Maybe uh, you are learning that, too. You have your own lessons from quarantine. Uh, I want to give you a really gospel, simple gospel uh, um, Formula We use here at New City often. It's a way to explain the gospel in the simplest form. And it's, I can't, he did, because he did, I can. And I I need sometimes to remember that the gospel begins with, I can't. (laughs) That's okay. Like we are in a position right now where our own uh, own strength, our own capacity, uh, the limits of it, I guess, of our strength and our capacity is being exposed. And we need to sometimes confess, I can't do it. Uh, but we also need to confess that he has done it and because he has, we can. See, we are all in need of a power that is bigger than we are. And in fact, the, the kind of a theme of Colossians is a really interesting letter that Paul has written. Uh, Colossae uh, was a place that was demolished by an earthquake. It's a, uh, it's a place that wasn't even around when John uh, wrote uh, Revelation. Uh, this is a a community that we don't know a whole lot about. In fact, it's very difficult to find uh, any sort of evidence that directly points us to what Paul's confronting in his letter, although he's confronting some things. It seems as though uh, that Epaphras, the church planter, uh, had planted the church and some other teachers came in to the community, began to say, he he didn't give you the full gospel. You didn't get it from the Apostle Paul. After all, you got it from Epaphras and calling into question the sufficiency of the gospel, calling to to question the sufficiency uh, of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the church. And so I think what Paul does continually in Colossians is, says, no, Christ is sufficient. Uh, You can see some of this happening in verses 9, 10, and 11. And so, from the day we heard heard of your conversion, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and, and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, Here's a key phrase for us right now, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Uh, the apostle Paul is wanting us to know that uh, the strength that we need is available through God, uh, that we need to hold on to the one who holds it all together, in other words. So the key verse for our series is Colossians 1:17, and he, Jesus, is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And so we need to hold on uh, and hold on to the one who holds it all together. And one of the ways we hold on is through prayer. Uh, it's, it's through leaning into his power, not our own power. See, life without prayer is life without power. And it's interesting to me as I was reading through Colossians and rereading through, through Colossians, it's how often Paul mentions prayer. Uh, He mentions it uh, not in terms of instruction, just in terms of illustrating this is what kind of pastor he is. He's the kind of pastor who prays for Christians, who prays for the church. You see in Colossians 1, 3, we, uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You see it in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. You see, we need to be, now more than ever, praying for one another. Honestly, praying for one another. Epaphras, the church planter, the the, the pastor who planted this church in his hometown, Uh, you read about that in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, meaning he's from your hometown, he came back to you to plant this church, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Uh, On whose behalf are you struggling in prayer? Who needs our prayers right now? There are lots of categories of people who need our prayers right now. I wrote down a few. Uh, One is the government needs our prayers right now. If you're paying attention to the news, you'll see there's a struggle between uh, the economic pressures uh, and the public health pressures. And our government, uh, our governing officials need our prayers. They need wisdom. And we should be as a church praying for them. First responders and our medical professionals, they need our prayers. If you're a medical professional at New City Church and we know your name, I want you to know we've written that name down and we've been praying for you. And there's a lot of medical professionals and professionals in our church and we are praying for each and every one of you by name. Uh, we can be praying for the most vulnerable, those who are most vulnerable to the virus. And uh, in my mind, uh, in that category is an Nation. I've been uh, my heart has been awakened to this issue, and I've been praying uh, for an open door for New City Church to serve uh, our, our native uh, brothers and sisters and to care for them because it is one of the hot spots now in our country as an Abo Nation. You see, in my lifetime, I <sighs> want you hear me this. In my, in my lifetime, the church has never been more needed than it is right now. <laughs> I don't have time to to, to say this to you in a way that is ultra-compelling, but but I I just want to say to you plainly, your prayers change things. Uh, The church is, is powered by the Holy Spirit of God to do good works in the world. And the world has never needed the church more than it's needed now, at least in my own lifetime. The world needs our faithful prayer and our loving action. But I, I, I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, I've noticed this, I don't know if you've noticed this, but loving action is held up far too often by unfruitful theological or political debates. Uh, far too often, people get caught up in the fray of argument in, in, in such a way that it, it actually inhibits loving action or prayer for concern. In 2 Second Timothy 2.14, Second Timothy Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Uh, The the gospel is not complex. The gospel is, is simple. It's not something we need to spend a whole lot of time debating. In Colossians 1-7, Paul is saying this to the church. He says, hey, Epaphras, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He's done a good job. He's laid out to you the gospel. You don't need to go seeking after secret knowledge. You don't need to be quarreling over words. What you need to be doing is living out the gospel you've received. And the aim of the gospel is not merely deep thinking. It's deep living. And you see that all over the the verses that we're studying today in Colossians 1. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. And so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you would know what God wants you to do with your life, that you would have knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, walking in a manner that's in line with his will. Uh, uh, Other places in the Bible say, keeping a step with the Spirit, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. We we ought to be so bathed in the gospel that it is producing in us and through us good work. Good work that is evidenced by love. See, proof of Christian conversion is love. And in verses 1 to in verses 7 and 8 of, of Colossians 1 this is what you read. He says just as you learned it the gospel from Epaphras our beloved fellow servant he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has now, this is important. He has made known to us your love in the spirit. In other words, Epaphras has given us evidence of your conversion and the evidence he's given us of your conversion is your love. In fact, the the love that you have for one another has put on display the fact that you have received the gospel in all of its fullness. I want to remind you that any application of Christian teaching that does not increase your love of God and your love of neighbor has failed its original intent. In Matthew 22, uh, someone approaches Jesus and says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you should love your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you want to rightly apply biblical teaching, it's going to be applied in one of two directions most of the time, in those two directions simultaneously, love of God and love of neighbor. And when a person is living the gospel, they will experience two changes in their life, uh, but only one of them they'll notice. Uh, The one they'll notice is an increased interest in the desires of other people. Uh, When the gospel changes your life, what happens is that you are so overwhelmed by his love and so freed from uh, self-approval seeking that what happens is you are beginning to see the world through a new lens. You're beginning to see the needs of others and the, and the wants of others and the desires of others. And what ends up happening is you also end up experiencing a decrease in the interest of your own desires, your selfish desires. And, and if you noticed it, then, then you would start, <laughs> your mind would start drawing attention to the self all over again. And what happens when the gospel settles into your spirit, settles into your soul is that you have an increased affection for God and a increased affection for others. What happens is when this kind of gospel reality settles in is that your love becomes so othered, centered, uh, that through the world's eyes, it might sometimes seem reckless. You see, our, (laughs) our security, the security of our hope, enables our reckless love. Uh, we, we, can, we, can, we have the capacity to love with a reckless abandon because we are secure in our hope. I want you to look at Colossians 1, 3, and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So, you know, Paul uses this faith, hope, and love combination uh, several times in the Scriptures. Here, he's being very specific with the order. He says, uh, "...since we heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel." N.T. Wright says, The solid facts about the future hope of Christians are a powerful motivation for constant faith and costly love in the present. In other words, because my future is secure in Christ Jesus, that there's nothing that I can seek in this world that could possibly compare with what God has already provided for me. And so the things that I have in this present life, are, are am I able to use them and, in in reckless abandonment. I'm able to to recklessly love other people uh, because of my future security. I can love in a costly manner, as N.T. Wright says. Jim Elliot says it this way, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Uh, this, this among many reasons is... is <laughs> Let me just say it this way. Uh, our, our inheritance uh, is... Is, our inheritance is our security, but it's, it's much more than that. See, our, our inheritance is, uh, comes with the idea of our adoption. In other words, what we have laid up in heaven, what God has laid up for heaven for us in terms of inheritance, it comes packaged with this idea of our adoption. In fact, our adoption is the pinnacle of the Christian experience. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8.15. J.I. Packer says adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Let me put this in a context that's meaningful to our current situation. Uh, My daughter Evangeline uh, turned eight this last week. Uh, She is phenomenal. It snowed on her birthday. And so if you want to know what her birthday is, just look back in the calendar. The day it snowed in Albuquerque, that was her birthday. She's eight years old and, you know, we're paying attention to the news. We're paying attention to what's going on. Obviously, she's doing school online. It's, this, what's going on in the world is not a mystery to anybody in our family, even our eight-year-old daughter, Evangeline. Now, I, I have a temptation as a loving father to say to my daughter, sweetie, everything is going to be okay. And I want my word to be the guarantee that everything is going to be okay. But here's the truth. I cannot guarantee everything is going to be okay. I can't. But my Father in Heaven can, and He has. That's my hope. (laughs) My hope is not in anything that I can do in this life. It's, It's in what Christ has already done with His life. He lived the life I could not live. He died the death I should have have died. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. He overcame the brokenness of this world. And he's established for me an inheritance, for you an inheritance. And there's nothing this world could put into your bank account that compares to what God has already laid up for you in heaven. Listen again to the words of Paul. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have For all the saints, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Douglas Moo in his commentary says, Faced with teaching that, that led them to wonder whether Christ could supply all their spiritual needs. The Colossians need to be reminded that their present experience of faith and love rest on the solid foundation of what God has committed to do for them in the future. It's their security that they find their rest. It's where they find the strength to be faithful. It's where they find the strength to be loving. You see, our faith in Jesus is evidenced by our love, and our love is empowered by our hope. In other words, because of the hope we have, we can love recklessly we can love with abandon in this life see the current crisis i believe the current crisis we're all experiencing is the perfect soil for the production of christian fruit i believe this current crisis is the perfect soil for the production of christian fruit and it is fruitfulness in life that paul has his eyes set on you see this in verse six it is bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel is going out into all the world and it is bearing fruit and increasing, he says. And verse 6. And in verse 9, he says, I want you to know what, what God's will is. And in verse 10, for the purpose that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. See, we need to seek God's will so we can do good work. We can bear the kind of fruit that God wants us to bear. And this is the perfect soil because the fruit that we are bearing is the product of our hope. And boy, has the world ever needed hope more than it needs it now when we have hope? So in this series, we're saying, yeah, hold on. And and we're saying, hold on to the gospel. It hasn't gone anywhere. Hold on to the gospel and also hold on to the mission. Now, we, we set our sights earlier this year uh, on a mission we called Be Good News. And we, we were rallying the whole church around this idea. Like, we were called to be good news to start good news conversations all over our city by being a good news people. And if you want to know, learn more about this, you can go to begoodnews.church. But this, this mission hasn't left. We're holding on to the gospel, we're holding on to the mission. And just a brief summary of Be Good News. Be Good News is about being good news for people in the city with our lives. It is a two-year ministry budget. And we uh, spent weeks unfolding this two-year ministry budget. It's a $2.8 million ministry budget for the next two years. It's a one-fund initiative. And each of those uh, categories of four people in the city with our lives represents a, a number for people is, uh, represents uh, $1,100,000 of that budget. And in the city it represents uh, $1.5 million of uh, that budget. And you'll see that a piece of that uh, present, you know, being here for people is about caring for children and the needs of others in our city and how we we're planning to supply uh, extra s- dollars for staff and programming. And in the city it was about our unique presence in the city that we are still seeking. Uh, in fact, we haven't changed our plans to purchase the North Church building and uh, the building that North Church meets in, I should say. That's, that's still in the works and things are still moving forward with that. Uh, we certainly uh, are more committed than ever than being good news with our lives. And the missional impulse that we have to to do good things in our city. In fact, we've been praying about how do we leverage resources God has blessed us with in this particular time uh, to care for the most vulnerable in our city. And we are making plans, uh, uh, you know, as I'm preaching this, making plans to invest dollars, real dollars to make a real impact in real people's lives. And this is something I I hope we can make a huge splash in the coming weeks uh, for the glory of God and the love of others. Now, when we originally presented this uh, initiative to you, uh, we put out some important dates. Uh, most of those dates fell within the uh, COVID-19 quarantine uh, stay-at-home orders. And so we didn't have uh, the, the commitment weekend and we didn't have our celebration weekend because the dust was still kind of flying in the air. And now the dust was beginning to settle. Uh, I did send to a friend, I said, I think the dust was beginning to settle. And my friend sent me back a text and said, yeah, but it's still pretty dusty. And I was like, yeah, it's still pretty dusty. But uh, as the dust is clearing, I I can tell you what I see. I see the mission of being four people in the city with our lives standing strong. And we are committed to that. We're committing to being four people in the city with our lives. And so for those who can uh, participate, we want to encourage you to participate on May 3rd. That will be our commitment weekend. Uh, We're going to just move forward. We're going to not let uh, COVID-19 stop the mission of God at New City. And so we're holding on to the gospel. We're holding on to the mission. So May 3rd will be the weekend that we call our Commitment Weekend. Uh, You can make your commitment digitally at BeGoodNews.Church. You can visit that website and you can find a way to make a commitment there. And I just want to say, if you are ready to make your commitment, you can do that now. You can do it today. Uh, After this service is over, you can log on to BeGoodNews.Church. You can find the commitment card. You can make that happen today. And many people were ready and were just waiting for uh, the right opportunity. And I want you to know now is the opportunity. I also want you to know if you need to update your commitment up or down, we will count your most recent commitment. So Uh, many of our economic realities have changed. Some uh, have changed for the better. Some have changed for the worse because of COVID-19. And if you need to make an adjustment, we will count your most recent commitment as your current commitment. If you are ready to start giving your new amount, your new accelerated amount, you can do so by giving to the Be Good News General Fund. This is a one fund initiative. And so we uh, have trimmed down our budget and we have a a way of calculating what's extra, what's a part of the Be Good News initiative and how we can use those money that, that those dollars to accomplish the mission that God has called us to in this next season. Uh, I want you to know a couple of things. Uh, one is 100% of the leadership of New City has committed in, to an increase in generosity. And that's good news. I mean, our leaders are behind this. And at our pre-commitment night that was feels like uh, 15 years ago but it was just a few weeks ago at our pre-commitment night, the average increase over current giving levels was 74%. Uh, praise God for that. So I want you to know that the leaders in our church are committed and they are very committed to the mission that God has called us to. And so I'm going to encourage you to hold on. And we're holding on in this season to the gospel. We are holding on to uh, the mission of God. And we, are, we will not let go of what God has called us to. We're holding on. And so I want to say again in a different way, we need to hold on during the season, not hold off. And so we're not holding off. We're going, to, we're going to hold on. But to hold on, we're going to need God's help. Uh, I want you to to turn your attention back to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to spend some time in verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, he says, Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. So to hold on, we need strength. We need God's power. We need his strength. We need his might to be at work in our lives. And so we need to hold on. And I want to remind you, you cannot hold it all together. You cannot. You need his strength to hold it together. You need to confess uh, the gospel in its simplest form. I can't. He did. Because he did, I can. That's where I find the strength. Not in my ability, but in his ability. Not in my capacity, but in his capacity. I find the strength not in what I can do, but in what he can do. And I do that through prayer. I say, God, give me the strength to do what I can. Cannot do on my own, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. And so to hold on, we need strength and we need endurance. Uh, Mark Maynell in his commentary says The reason believers can endure through hardship is that Christian hope is emphatically not wishful thinking. They are not idly holding on for a kind of spiritual lottery jackpot. Their hope does not depend on luck. I want you to know we can endure because we know the story, how the story ends. And we know how the story ends because Christ has raised from the dead. We know that he's conquered sin. We know that he's conquered death. We know that he's coming back and he's making all things new. And these are <laughs> these, these are not based on luck and wishful thinking. These are facts of history that our hope is based in. And so we can endure. So we hold on. We hold on, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience. So to hold on, we need strength, we need endurance, and we need we need patience. And see, so right in his commentary, he says there is a slight distinction to be drawn between endurance and patience. The former is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. The latter, what they show to an apparently impossible person. In other words, we need endurance to endure the situation we're all going through. We need patience to deal with the people <laughs> that we're all, uh, we're all dealing with during this time. Being strengthened with power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience. Here, Hear me. With joy. With joy. So to hold on. We need strength. We need endurance. We need patience. We need joy. And These are all gifts that God gives. Joy is not found in our circumstances. It's found in our hope. Listen to Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your hope, your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, life is going to be hard, but you can find joy. Well, how do you find joy? How, how, How can you rejoice and be glad? Because you know that your reward is great in heaven. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Hear me, giving thanks. Giving thanks. So to hold on, we need strength, we need endurance, we need patience, we need joy, we need thankfulness. So what do you need to be thankful for? What do you need to be thankful for? Giving thanks always, says Paul in Ephesians 5, 20 and 21. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, give me thanks always and for everything. Always and for what do you need to be giving thanks to God for? This is not one of those times where we need to sit back and bellyache about all that's happened, all that's been taken away from us. But this, this is a time when we need to have our eyes open to say, God, what have you given me? What have you provided for me? Where's my hope? Where's my security? How have you, to be reminded that we can give thanks that He's making all things new, that this is COVID nineteen isn't the final, the final chapter of the story. I want to say this line, and I want I want this to resonate with you, and I want it to be true for you. I want you to know this is one of the things you can be thankful for. That God is more than we need for the time we are in. Let that sit on you. God is more than we need for the time we are in. And to write again in his commentary on Colossians, Paul singles out these qualities as the weapons one needs to live in a world (laughs) undaunted by its crises and panics. A patient and long-suffering spirit, the quiet corollary of faith, hope, and love is a product of the settled conviction that the Father of Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of the world, that he is able to bring about his purpose in his own time and manner. In other words, God is more than we need for the time we are in. He's more than. He's more than we need for the time we are in. Our hope is not in what we can do. Our hope is in what He has done. And I want you just to listen to the words of Scripture. My prayer is that these words will, 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 these words will penetrate your heart. Uh, they will penetrate your mind. They will boost your spirit. They will give you reason for joy. They will give you reason for thanksgiving. Uh, they will help you to be, to be a person with endurance, a person with patience, a person with strength. Let these words strengthen you. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Hear these things again. You can hold on because He has qualified you. (laughs) This is is such good news for those of us like me who are workaholics, who are always trying to prove our worth by what we do. And then the Spirit just jumps off the page and says, Do you know that Jesus has qualified you already? You are qualified in Him, He has given you an inheritance. Look, I know economic times are tough. I know times are tough for a lot of people economically right now. now there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen. Uh, is this going to be a great recession or a, a great depression? I want you to know that you can fix your mind on the inheritance of God and know that there's nothing this world could ever add to your bank account that, God has our, that, that even compares what God has already given you in your inheritance. He has qualified you. He has given you an inheritance. He has delivered you from, from the darkness He has transferred you into his kingdom. Listen to this word. He has redeemed you. Uh, uh, This could also be translated. He has ransomed you. He paid the penalty. He bought you out of slavery. Brought you into a life of worship. Brought you into a life of freedom. He actually bought you out of slavery and gave you the ability to be a child. His child. Receiving his inheritance. And he has forgiven you. He's forgiven you. I'm thinking of the passage that we'll read later <laughs> about how he canceled the written record, of, uh, you know, that stood against us. How he nailed it to the cross. How Jesus has overcome it all. He's overcome it all. You cannot hold it all together. You cannot. But you can hold on to the one who does hold it all together. So hold on to him. Hold on to him. Hold on to the one who has qualified you, who's given you an inheritance, who's delivered you from darkness, who's brought you into his kingdom, who has redeemed you and forgiven you. Hold on to him. That's who you hold on to. Uh, well, we respond to the gospel at New City every week in a couple ways, in three ways, actually. Uh, we respond to generosity. Because God is a generous God, and we are a generous people. And listen, uh, you can be praying for us as leadership. We're praying. We're praying about how do we invest dollars in our city, in our community, in our state in a way that makes a real difference in real people's lives. Because God has called us to be generous. And for a lot of people right now, your pay hasn't been a. I mean, you you you're, you're getting look you're you're getting three months to the gallon right now. Um, your pay has not been a affected in a negative way and you have a greater capacity to be generous now than you ever have before and that's just your reality many some of you uh, don't have the ability to be generous in the ways that you had in the past and that's totally understandable but god has given us a calling to be generous people in the ways that we can And so just ask the holy spirit to lead you in your generosity journey we celebrate with communion and that's when we break the bread. Remember Christ's body broken for us. We take the, we take the cup with the grape juice or the wine, if you prefer. And we remember Christ's blood shed for us. We remember His generosity for us. And then we pray. And uh, over the last few weeks we've been praying together and just a, just a prayer that we can all read together. I don't know if this has been funny in your household. My family's been making fun of me because I said your reading cadence for the prayer time is off. No one is reading like you. And so if you've experienced that in the previous weeks of our prayer time together, uh, I can't promise I'll do any better <laughs> this week, but we're going to try okay we're going to try all together to pray. Of prayer, and this will be a way for us all to experience a little bit of community as we're all praying the same thing at the same time, uh, wh- wherever you're listening to this and at whatever time you're listening to it. All right, let's pray together. Father, we are not enough, but you are more than enough. We need strength, endurance, and patience. Help us in our weakness. Give us joy and remind us of the things we should be thankful for. Jesus, you are the good news. Help us to be your good news people. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless. Keep holding on to Jesus.